The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Back everybody to another episode of Benched with Bubba, episode two sixty four. Going to talk some more fancy baseball. A couple of injuries that have taken place, some targets throughout drafts, and much more. And in order to do so, I have a special guest of the show. You can find him on Twitter at C Towers CBS. All of his great work over there at CBS.com. Chris Towers, how we doing? Good. I always uh, I always feel a little uncomfortable when I'm referred to on another person's podcast as a special guest because I feel like it sets the expectations way too high. But I'm glad to be here. Yeah, you trust me. You are a special guest, but uh, don't worry about the expectations because people have listened to me long enough. The expectations aren't high, so we're good. We're very good. <laughs> and uh, we just like to have fun, talk a little baseball, throw a fantasy angle on things. And uh, I know you can definitely do that. Um We'll jump right into it. We were talking about it right before we started. The news that broke minutes ago, half an hour ago, give or take. Uh, it kind of came out of nowhere, it felt like. But uh, Norris Syndergaard going to have Tommy John surgery. Obviously, he's going to be out for at least a year or so longer. I guess it works with a delayed season. It kind of helps make that decision easier. But in the end, he needed it regardless. Uh, I already adjusted my rankings. He's obviously gone. How do you, you mentioned writing an article right before we jump, jumped on here. What's your takes from the uh, Thor injury? Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about like a dynasty league, one thing that makes it interesting is now he's going to be coming back from Tommy John surgery probably around mid-May of 2021 in a walk year, assuming they don't sign some kind of extension. So it's going to be really interesting to see what that means for his long-term value, uh, both in real life and fantasy baseball. But, you know, the initial reaction is – uh it stinks. The Mets don't exactly have a ton of rotation depth. So the people who are going to be stepping up and and taking that rotation spot aren't exactly super uh, exciting for fantasy. I guess 
what we were looking at before the injury was probably a mixture of Steven Matz and Michael Waka as the number five starter. And now I guess both of them have rotation spots. And, you know, if you've already drafted and Steven Matz is on waivers, it's he's an okay guy to claim. He he goes through these periods where he shows upside and then doesn't come through with it. But, you know, last season we did see, you know, a strong finishing kick and he was throwing his slider more often. So there might be some potential there. But, you know, if I'm looking for guys who might be available on waivers to replace uh, Noah Syndergaard or guys in the later rounds, if you're in a slow draft, you know, I, I've got some other names that I like more than Steven Matz. Yeah, no, Matz is one of those guys that uh, there's a camp that's in on them. I kind of like him. I like what he did in this uh, second half adjustments. We saw a better pitch mix with Matz, but we've also never seen consistency with Steven yeah. Matz per se. So that's kind of the, the struggle there. So I totally get if there's other options. Uh, he's definitely a later round target. Um, would you rather just sticking with the Mets for, for, for fun here? Would you rather have a Rick Porcello or a Steven Matz? I've drafted Steven Matz this season and I have not drafted Rick Porcello. So that probably go. answers the question. Bingo. Bingo. Yes. Uh, Porcello for me is just an innings eater in a super deep league. That's where it's about all I could think of there. But uh, yeah, Matt's I'm on board with kind of locks up a spot and uh, I would not be running to go pick up Michael Walker. I'd say that much. But, no, no, not, not me either. Yeah. That's, that's a rough one. Uh, let's talk Chris sale real quick. We kind of knew these things that this, this surgery might be coming. It was a, a scary situation because he got shut down towards the end of last year. They kind of babied it along. They were trying to do everything they could to pitch. And then finally they decided to just have surgery. And it was kind of a, a weird deal because he was some perceived as a value in drafts. Some he was undraftable. Now he's having the surgery. Um, any thoughts on that? Because it broke right after my last episode on Thursday. Yeah, I mean, it's it's super unfortunate. It did feel sort of inevitable, but I was still holding out hope and you know, in the initial aftermath of him being shut down with that flexor strain, I did some research and I think it was something like only 20% of flexor strain diagnoses in Major League Baseball. I think it was from 2011 to 2017 was the study I saw. Uh, only about 20% of them ended up having Tommy John surgery. So, you know, I thought there there was a chance that he could avoid that. Um, clearly that was wrong. And, you know, my initial reaction was, well, if he's there around a hundred, maybe I'll, maybe I'll consider him. And then I was doing, I think it was the Raz slam. My pick came up and it was like 123 and I just couldn't do it. And then it came back to me at like 140 ish. And I just, I couldn't bring myself to pull the trigger on him. Then once he did start up that throwing program early, was that last week? A couple weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. The, the last two weeks have felt like a year. Yeah. I'm with, so, you. It's, I'm with you, man. When he started that throwing program, you know, I was doing another slow draft with uh, some people in the office, 14 team league. It got to me at like 94th overall. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a chance on Chris sale. And he had Tommy John surgery literally, or they announced Tommy John surgery literally the next day. So uh, I was willing to take a chance on him as a value because the upside's so high, but I wasn't in on him coming into the season, I guess. I I, I was willing to take him if the value was there, uh, but now I'm just worried that he's never going to get back there because 
the thing the thing you usually see with starting pitchers is as they get older, they start to lose some life on the fastball. They start to use those secondary pitches more. You know, we're seeing that with Clayton Kershaw. He's almost a, I think his slider is his most used pitch now. Yeah. And uh, that's basically true of everyone except Bartolo Colon and Lance Lynn. You know, this is pretty much how all starting pitchers age. With Chris Sale, you know, the, the slider's amazing. The changeup is kind of okay. It wasn't great last season. And so now I'm worried, you know, next time we see him, he's going to be, what, 32? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what Chris Sale's going to look like as he gets older coming back from this. Yeah, it is a major concern because it's there's two camps. There's the camp that's, you know, always been wondering what, the way he throws, how he's not had surgery before. People are like predicting this, like, you know, bad people predicting injuries. But uh, he finally had it. Now you have to wonder, like you said, how's he going to bounce back? Kershaw's a great example. When that velocity has kept dropping, you're wondering, watch Madison Bumgarner. That's another question mark. We've Man. seen his velocity continue to drop. And I've always been, a, as a Giants fan, watching him for so long, I always knew he was – like so competitive that he would learn how to pitch instead of throw. We're still trying to see if that's going to happen though. And that's an interesting, like Kershaw learned how to pitch very, very well. And he's very, very good at that, but uh, can sale do it. That's a great point. Does he have two to three other pitches besides a fastball to make it work? And that'll be very interesting uh, to find out Uh, just real quick. You mentioned, you know, sale became a value. Everyone's got a price. You know, the old Ted DiBiase, everyone's got a price. Um, James Paxton is a guy that, you know, some people, they liked him as a value, then he gets hurt. And now with the, the shortened season, looks like he'll be good to go. Are you a guy that, that's willing to buy back in on Paxton? Or are you still really concerned about his constant injury history? I don't have any shares of Paxton. It's not necessarily a stance that I've taken. It's just never reached a point um, where I'm willing to draft him. It's not just the injury history for me because, you know, that's something that I think, you know, you look at the game logs over the last few seasons, it was 28 starts in 2018, 29 starts in 2019. That's okay. And, you know, I think 2017, he might've gotten hit by a a line drive and missed time. So it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily like these constant recurring injuries that were costing him a ton of time. The issue for me is just, I'm not sure that he's going to give you a high level of, of value when he's on the mound. Um, you know, it's been a high three ZRA three of the last four seasons. I know the peripherals have been better, but you know, it's p- pretty consistently him underperforming those peripherals. And, you know, now that he's a fly ball pitcher pitching in Yankee stadium, I kind of think that's always going to be an issue. So that's why for me, I haven't really been reaching for him. Cause I just don't know if there's ace upside there. Yeah, that's fair. It's very fair. It's one of those with, with him, it's when he's on, he's very, very good. It's just a yeah. question of when's he on. It's in a shortened season with volatility being that much more of a good or a bad thing. You really want that uh, the spikes to not really get you in the wrong direction type thing on a shortened season. That could uh, stink with Paxton at times. So it's an interesting thought process there. We hopefully someday see baseball this season. Um, lastly, let's talk about the two Yankee outfielders. It seems like every episode there's some new news on these guys, so I bring them up again because it's just they're mind-boggling. But uh, Giancarlo Stanton, the reports are coming out. If we had games right now, spring training games, he'd be good to go, but we know how that goes. And then Aaron Judge comes back. Apparently had a a collapsed lung. That's healthy. That's a new one. It seems like there's a new injury every time we hear about Aaron Judge. 
Um, the MRI on the ribs show positive healing. Again, if we don't play until June or July, he, on paper, will be good to go, but we don't know yet. So Stanton could play today. Judge is still a little bit of ways. Do you prefer either one, or are you just avoiding both? I'm I'm all in on Stanton this year. Uh, for me, he, he's a guy that I'm drafting in as many places as I can because I just view him as someone when he's healthy, which, granted, you know, we know how that's gone, but – he didn't miss a single game because of injury in 2017 or 2018. I feel like that's kind of forgotten. Um, he was the number two hitter in Roto Leagues in 2017, behind only Charlie Blackman, I believe. And in 2018, I believe he was like number 18 or 20 in Roto Leagues. So for me, I the, the floor, if he's healthy, is so high. Even in an era where a lot of people can hit for power, there aren't a lot of guys who can hit for the kind of power John Carlos Stan or Aaron Judge can hit for, but I tend to view injury prone as a descriptive term and not necessarily a predictive one. And so in Stanton's case, it's a lot of soft tissue injuries. Last season, especially, it was concerning that he had that. Uh, I think it was a quad strain that led to a knee injury. That's a concern, but. I don't know. I just look at it and I think, man, if he's healthy, he's going to give me second or third round value in that lineup. And I was looking at his NFC ADP earlier today. And in the month of March, it's like 83rd overall, two spots ahead of Jorge Soler. Jorge Soler was awesome last year, but Jorge Soler last year did a good Giancarlo Stanton impression. We didn't get to see Giancarlo Stanton, remember, with the with the juice ball or with the extra juice ball from last year. So... I I'm very willing to draft Stanton and just hope he stays healthy at that price judge given the fact that his current injury seems more serious and he struggled to stay healthy himself. He doesn't have the, the track record that Stanton does and especially the perception that Stanton does. But, you know, one of the things that I think has helped Aaron judge's perception is his injuries have come later in the season. For the most part, I think there was, the he had broken hand bone i think early in 2018 maybe but for the most part they've kind of run through the end of the season rather than killing you in may and june and i think that changes the perception of how people view players with injuries that's a great point that's a really good point because at least you know people go into seasons going okay i have Aaron judge to start the season and we're going to go from there where stanton he gets you so early in the year and makes you scramble right away and it's kind of tough to, to get that bounce back from him because Judge, even in the last two years, um, he played like 102 games and 120 or something. Yeah. Uh, he had 20, 27 home runs in both seasons. So he's like, you look at the ISOs and all that stuff, he still is very, very productive, uh, very, very productive, but he just couldn't put a full season together where Stanton is kind of like all or nothing with him, it feels like sometimes. The yeah. all is just, the all is unworldly, it's outstanding. But that nothing just just gets you good. So, and I was with you. I was really buying in on Stanton because I was the discount. You know, fourth, fifth round, even sixth round in some drafts. I thought for a player of his caliber, okay, that's a that's a discount I'm willing to take. And right now, you get him in a bigger discount. But if you look at like the last week or so in ADPs, he's slowly making that climb back up. I saw auction drafts over the weekend. Uh, him and Judge both went for I think 17 or 18 bucks, which I still thinks a discount. Yeah, but um, they they were they were definitely in line with like Tommy fans of the world. So it's an interesting uh, dynamic. And given as you know, auctions can be different than just a regular snake draft. But it was kind of telling to see those prices. 
Yeah, but you know the the thing for me with both of these guys is even in an era of you know Eugenio Suarez almost hitting for fifty homers last season, mm-hmm. I think like Pete Alonso set the rookie record for home runs. I don't think he's in the same universe as Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge when it comes to just the raw power that he can generate. He just doesn't hit the ball as hard as those guys. When you're talking about Stanton, Judge, maybe Miguel Sano, maybe Joey Gallo, Nelson Cruz, like there's only a handful of guys who really have, like if you're talking 99th percentile, guys who can hit 55 to 60 home runs. Stanton and Judge are among those. Yep, totally agree with you there. You look at their their max max exit velocities, it's not their average, and it's just it's ungodly what they, they put out there when they hit a baseball. I, the the one good thing during well, there's a, occasionally good things through this time was we sit at home and do things. But uh, MLB Network was replaying the World Baseball Classic and watching Stanton's home run in San Diego was just a laser, an absolute just bullet off of his bat that uh, not many guys can do. So that was. Pretty crazy to see there, but uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll probably talk about these guys again in the coming episodes as there's going to be more information coming out and hopefully I uh, get to see them play sometime this season. But let's talk about one of your recent articles over at CBS, and I'll let you uh, talk about it here first. You, you drafted a player from each round and uh, formed a, a team out of this, uh, 23 rounds and whatnot. Why don't you uh, let everybody know kind of what the uh, exercise was here? Yeah, I basically decided to go through ADP and just go with like 1 through 12, 13 through 24, all the way down, uh, breaking up into each round and just looking, trying to identify my favorite player to pick in that range. Um, early on, it's a little difficult because every first rounder is pretty good. <laughs> I'd be happy to end up with all of them. So, you know, once you get through the first couple of rounds, then it starts getting into, you know, ADP starts to matter a little less. It starts to be more about your personal preference. And so that's when it gets fun. And so I think it was 23 players, 23 rounds, 41 players total, because some rounds had two or three that I really liked. Um, and you can find that on cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. Uh, it should be up in the covers still. And, you know, I think it was a good, good exercise, especially as we got into the later rounds to kind of identify those guys that I'm even willing to reach for let's say, not just draft them at their ADP, but, you know, go out and get a guy two rounds before he's supposed to, you know, quote unquote, supposed to go off the board. Yeah, I love articles and exercises like this because something I love to preach, I've done all draft season is know the player pool. I do. That's why I yep. like mock drafts. That's why I like, you know, if you don't want to do a mock draft, you want some skin in the game, go do a best ball, whatever you want to do. Because like you said, these early rounds, you could take anybody like they're all going to be really good. You know, you do have preferences on certain guys. Sure. But in the end, you're going to end up liking pretty much most of the players in the first few rounds. But as you get deeper in the rounds, like your roster construction, can I take this guy now to still get this position covered later? So on and so forth. Exercises like this make you think about it and really put it through there. So I really like it. And that's why I figured if we could just go through this real quick and uh, you could either pick the same guys you took or you could have some fun with whatever you want to do. Um, I'll, I'll just give two cents on, on guys that I kind of see one through 12. Uh, for the listeners, you used Fantasy Pros ADP, so I pulled that up. Um, we'll go one through 12, and why don't you let everybody know who your first choice is one through 12. I mean, it, it's it's tough but I, because they're all good, but I think probably the best value in the first round is I really like Trey Turner at number 11. You know, when, when we talk about this season, something uh, one of my coworkers, Scott White, has talked about a lot this year 
you know, he says stolen bases and starting pitcher are the only true currency in fantasy baseball in 2020. That's kind of his, uh, his manifesto right now. And, and it's not just that like, those are the only things that matter, but those are the premiums that you're probably going to have to pay up for in a, in a draft. If you want to come out of your draft, feeling good about them, you can, you know, obviously, especially at starting pitcher, you can wait and you probably, because we see injuries all the time, as we're talking about earlier, you know, you can come out of your draft. Okay. But you know, when you're looking at this season, I think Trey Turner, whether he hits first in the lineup or whether he hits third, you know, I think that impacts the stolen base ceiling, but I think people are looking at the raw numbers for him last season and not quite realizing that he did miss some time and the stolen base total was disappointing, but how many guys could hit 25 homers and steal 50 bases in a season right now? It's pretty much just him and Adalberto Mondesi, right? Totally, yeah. And Turner is probably going to hit 290, whereas Adalberto Mondesi might hit 240. So that's the – Trey Turner might be the most unique player in fantasy right now in terms of his ability to give you those elite stolen base totals without hurting you elsewhere. No, I like that a lot. Turner's been a guy I've been huge on for quite a while now. Uh, you mentioned the power that people I don't think appreciate with a guy like Trey Turner – He's got more power than people think. Like 20, 25 homers is not like out of the realm for mm-hmm. a Trey Turner. He's actually very good in that regards. And then you throw in 40-plus stolen bases. It's just something you don't see anymore in this era of baseball. And uh, it's it's a it's a game changer. And it's always a fun fun conversation in the first round. You get the big three up top, the big three offers, Acuna, Trout, Yellick. But then when you get down to, towards the back end of the first round, you usually get the big three shortstop, Inlandor, Story, and Turner. And it's funny kind of hearing all the different, uh, I wouldn't say arguments about it, because it, it, it's more like personal preference on the three guys. And the way I've always looked at Turner is the power-speed combo. The five categories he's going to fill for you are tremendous. Um, Story and Lindor are very close. Uh, have you found yourself always taking Turner in this grouping, or do you ever grab a Lindor or a Story? I think I've taken Story more than Lindor. It, it's so tough to – figure out how to handle those two guys in particular, because Lindor is in such a weird spot where um, you kind of look at like the OPS, really. He doesn't really stand out. You know, he's a good power hitter. He doesn't really hit for a great average. He hits for an okay average, but then like the sum total of his production comes together and it's really good, but he doesn't necessarily like stand out in the way that Trey Turner does. So I guess, for me, I would rather grab – that's a little unfair for Francisco Lindor because he usually is a huge standout in runs in particular. Um, but for me, it's Turner. I know he's an A-plus in at least one category and probably not worse than like a B-minus in any other ones. And I think I'd rather have that than like the B-plus across the board. No, makes total sense. Totally agree with you there. So I'll be with you on Trey Turner. That's a guy I really like. So I, I tried to get my steals early in drafts. Yeah. Uh, your co-host Mr. is quite uh, accurate on that, as you've probably noticed as well. Elite pitching and stolen bases is uh, quite the thing these days. So uh, Trey Turner is a, a pick I would like quite a bit as well. So round two, 13 through 24. Uh, this one's really easy for me, but it's because more of a, I'm a fanboy of a pick here. Um, what is your next pick in this range? 
I'm really curious to hear what yours is. For me, it's Freddie Freeman. And I yeah. think it's um, – there are maybe six pure hitters who are better than Freddie Freeman, and most of them go in the first round, and most of them go in the first half of the first round. The thing I love about Freddie Freeman, though, since he made that jump, I think it was after the 2016 season, and really – maybe it was in the 2016 season and really became a legitimate power hitter. I just feel like he's a little undervalued. You know, he had the one season where he was dealing with a wrist injury set at the end of the year. I think it was 2018 set at the end of the year. I felt like I was swinging a wet newspaper, but other than that, he's been pretty consistently an elite batting average source. He's going to drive in and score a ton of runs in a really good Braves lineup. And he's going to hit close to 40 home runs while not being a zero in steals. I think he basically gives you what Nolan Arenado does but with the potential to actually even steal eight to 10 bases. No, I like that quite a bit. I'm a big Freddie Freeman fan. And what makes Freddie uh, better, or at least more important, is that first base position kind of drops off yeah. after the elite tier. And I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but I know I've been in a few drafts where I'm sitting there going, okay, I'll get one of these guys coming around the corner, and they both go, and then I'm sitting there looking at like Daniel Murphy. And that yeah. is not a, that's not a place you want to be. It really isn't. So, yeah, it makes sense getting a Freddie Freeman early. I can feel you there. Who was your guy in this round? My guy is Jose Ramirez. I know, okay, yeah, love that. Yeah, I know not everybody. Like, there's still skeptics here. I've already heard the arguments that he's a slow starter and all these things. I really don't care. What he did towards the end of last year was the J-Ram we remember. He was battling injuries and all kinds of other little things. I believe this is a guy, that another power-speed combo. Obviously not the Trey Turner-speed combo, but – a guy that can get you 30-plus homers and steal you 20-plus bases at the third base position, which is deeper than first base. But still, uh, you mentioned Arenado numbers. You know, he's got more power than J-Ram, but not by, like, a boatload. And steals can offset a lot of that difference there. So instead of taking, like, an Arenado at, at the 10th pick and getting a J-Ram at 12, Jose Ramirez is a guy I absolutely love, and I've been trying to grab him everywhere. I'm a big fan. He was pretty much the consensus number three pick this time last year. And what I what I like to do when a player has that kind of midseason surge is find out if there's a reason to believe in it. And in Ramirez's case, he's talked very openly about he was trying to beat the shift. He was getting shifted a lot. And the first half of last season, he really tried to hit the ball the other way. And it just kind of ruined his swing. You know, he was popping the ball up a ton. He wasn't driving it. You know, he generates most of his power to the pull side. And once he got back to just trying to hit the ball as hard as he can, the way he naturally does, he looked like himself again. You know, it was like a thousand OPS over the last 50 something games, I think. Yeah, it was very impressive. That's just second half alone uh, was a definite Jose Ramirez season in itself. Uh, you mentioned the the pop-ups. You look at his launch angles and everything from early in the year and how it, it dropped, and it actually mm -hmm. dropped in a good way because <laughs> yeah. they got to the place where we want uh, Jose Ramirez to be launching baseball. So, yeah, I'm, I was looking forward to the full season of him this year, but we'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, round three, who were you targeting in round three? I love Patrick Corbin this year. Uh, and a big part of why I love Patrick Corbin this year is I think he's – likely the most likely outcome is he gives you exactly what Steven Strasburg does. If you look at what they've done over the last two years in particular, they've basically had identical rate stats, identical strikeout rates, identical walk rates. 
But Patrick Corbin has thrown about 70 more innings than Steven Strasburg over the last two seasons. Now, I know Strasburg was better last year, although it was pretty close. And I just think getting that 15 picks later, 13 picks later, whatever it is, I'd rather just wait. I'm thrilled if I get Patrick Corbin as my number one starter this year. I think there's a lot to like about Corbin. Um, I mentioned that auction over the weekend. Corbin went for 28 and Kershaw went for 28. Kershaw's going two picks ahead of Corbin here. Obviously, you pick Corbin. You like Corbin more. How close do you think those two are, though? Oh, I I think they're probably the same guy. You know, the strikeout rates, the walk rates are very close. So when it comes to a situation like that, I'd rather just wait. True. Very true. I can feel you there. Wait two more picks and get him. Uh, my guy, and this is kind of a, a popular answer everywhere, but I've been snagging him places because a trend with my first two picks, I want to get as many steals, as many five-category contributors as I can. So I'd be going after Starling Marte. I, 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 I'm i on board there. I know everyone's on him now. Kind of actually surprised to see his ADP still at 29. I figured he'd be going a little higher. But I think going to Arizona, he's going to love hitting in an offense that's going to be loaded around him, a team that's going to compete. Um, there, there's a lot to like for Starling Back uh, in Arizona, Cattell Marte hitting behind him. He can hit 20-plus homers and still get 20-plus bags. I know there's a couple other people are saying maybe he's getting too old or there's some drop-off coming, but uh, I'm going to go with Starling Marte in the third round. Yeah, I'm totally fine with that. All right, who's your fourth-round pick? Uh, I really like Cattell Marte. Um, there you go. I know – it's sort of, and I'm I'm definitely on board with this. You don't want to pay up for the career year. And in, in Marte's case in particular, you know, it was such an outlier from what he'd done before that it definitely makes sense to fade him. But he hit like a first rounder last year. So you're not paying for the career year. You're paying for some regression being baked in. And if you actually look at it, you know, the breakout kind of started in the second half of 2018 And he was someone that I was watching in 2018 because he had talked openly about wanting to change his swing. Him and Josh Bell were actually two guys I really liked coming into 2019 because both had talked, you know, their underlying skills looked pretty good. And they both talked about, you know, being swing change, launch angle guys, trying to hit the ball in the air with more authority. And in both cases, you saw that start to happen in the second half of 2018. You know, it's not always immediate. Sometimes there's there's an adjustment period, and you saw it in the second half of 2018, and then he fully broke out in 2019. Yeah, there's some regression coming. You know, I don't think he's going to hit 320 again. But if he hits 290 and most of the power stays there from last year, and he's still a threat to steal 12 to 15 bases, I love getting him in the four, in the fourth round. Yeah, most definitely. I think the power is legit. You mentioned the swing change. Uh, I think there's a lot to like there. It's funny some people aren't buying it because, you know, like you said, coming off a career year, but some guys, one thing I like to preach a lot is people forget Cattell Marte was actually a high, highly talented prospect for the Mariners. So it's not like it just came out of nowhere with him. He's actually a pretty good ball player, kind of put on some, some muscle there and it showed last season. So I have no problem with that at all. Since this is a 12 team league in reality, I probably in a 15 team, we're taking a picture either this round or the last round. Yeah. Looking ahead. I, I like the pitchers kind of in the next round. If I want to start there, so in round four, I will take another short position. I'll take Ozzy Albies at second base. Sure. Um, I think he's a guy similar to Cattell Marte. I, I think it would be, be between the two of them to play my second base position. But I'll take Albies for maybe a little more steals upside, and I think he can still take another 
step in the power department. He's still kind of developing his a little behind the development of maybe a Cattell Marte. So I like Ozzy. I love that Atlanta offense as well. Uh, hitting between Acuna and Freeman will never stink. So uh, yeah. give me Ozzy Albies in round four. I'm not sure people realize how young Ozzy Albies is. He's exactly. only 20, he only just turned 23 two months ago. He is a baby by major league standards. And uh, like I, I, he might be younger than Luis Robert. That's crazy to think about. <laughs> really take a step back. That's it pretty might, wild. It's pretty close. He might be a little bit. Yeah, he's about five months older, but only five months older than Luis Robert. He's been, he's had like kind of came up in 2017 without a lot of hype, which is weird given that he was a, a big prospect, but not a lot of people were talking about him. 2018 has this incredible start to the season. Then he looks miserable for months, and it's just like it's been so up and down. He's kind of settled in now, and he's five months older than the most hyped prospect in baseball right now. That's such a good perspective to put it in because people forget those kind of things. And if you're a Braves fan, you have Acuna and Albie so young and locked up some pretty friendly deals. That's going to be fun in Atlanta for quite some time. Um, Who would be your fifth-round pick? This is the easiest one of this entire exercise for me. Charlie Morton at 50th overall uh, is just <laughs> yep. like people are giving you money and just take it. Just accept, like take Charlie Morton in the fourth round. Don't wait for him because he was, I think the number seven starting pitcher last season. And that was, yes, it was the first time that he's pitched that many innings. Although you look at the last three seasons, really, he hasn't missed very many starts and yes, he's old. Yes. You're baking in all those discounts. He's as good as basically any starting pitcher outside of that top five. There's risk, but you know what? There's risk with every single starting pitcher you draft. Look at the three aces that we've had go down with Tommy John surgery just since the start of February. That could happen to anyone. The risk is very well priced in for Charlie Morton. I love it. That's who I was going to pick. That's why I kind of made the comment when I took Albies. You have Morton, you have uh, Giolito, stuff like yep. that, which is a good plan B. Um, the Morton thing makes me laugh. Like you said, you know, go ahead and take him in round four. Why are people letting him fall this far? It's so silly, but so true. It's it, People are just ageist at times. It's just all there is to it. They see how old he is, and they're just waiting for him to break down. Like you hear the Justin Verlander arguments. You know, sure, he's got the hip injury, and that's no joke, but they're saying he's so old, and eventually it's going to fall apart. And I'm sitting there going – when because it's just it just keeps doing it time and time again and morton's that guy he's flat out said he's not going to pitch when he can't pitch anymore so if he's out there throwing i got no problem trusting him so i'm going to make this one quick and simple morton would be mine as well he's so so darn good so reliable on a very good tampa bay team so i'm with you who's your round six another one of my favorite players this season yohan mancata he's another guy coming off a career year i think there are a lot of people who are skeptical um, you know, him and his teammate, Tim Anderson, people look at the, you know, I think Moncada was over 400 Babbitt. Tim Anderson was right around there and they just say, well, they're not going to do that again. And that's true. But Yohan Moncada has a 369 career Babbitt. It's one of the highest in major league history. And we're talking about, you know, something like 1400 plate appearances. It's not a gigantic sample, but it's not nothing. It's not just last year. He's been a high Babbitt guy forever. And it makes sense. He's really athletic. He hits the ball really, really hard. And so I think he can hit 290 this season. I think there's 30 homer potential there. 
And I buy the improvements that he made as far as his strikeout rate goes, because it wasn't just, you know, like, like I said earlier with, uh, with Jose Ramirez, there was a reason why he struck out less. It wasn't just like, oh, he got better at recognizing pitches. Yoan Makata was just a much more aggressive hitter in 2019. And in his case, that was a good thing because he never had these hot sky high swinging strike rates like you see with a lot of the 30% strikeout guys. It was in like the 12% range, which is not great, but it's not, you can live with that. In his case, he was just taking a lot of third strikes. I think, I think I saw something like in 2018, he had like 90 called third strikes or something like that. He was just putting himself in a lot of disadvantageous positions. And it's something, you know, we'll get to, you know, maybe we'll get deep enough to talk about Kevin Biggio, but he's another guy who I think would benefit from swinging the bat more. And in mm-hmm. Moncada's case, if you talk about the upside, if you just want to talk about what Yohan Moncada's ceiling looks like, I think it looks like what we saw Trevor Story do the last two years, 30 plus homers. He's talked about, Yohan Moncada has talked about wanting to run more this season. So 20 steals isn't out of the question. Much better lineup. And I think he can hit 280, 290. I'm with you. He's, and the fact he has talked about running more is just that ups him even more. If he if he keeps hitting the way he's hitting and then maybe throws in 15 bags, we're not talking about a six-round pick next year. We're talking like a second or third round pick. Yep. He he catapults it that high. So I, I'm a big fan of that. And the Kevin Biggio comment, I'm a, I totally agree. That's something I talked about on a previous show. We were either the either the second base preview or just kind of looking at deeper targets. And when you break down Kevin Biggio, he's almost too patient at the plate. Like he's a great he's a great OBP player because he walks a lot. But you look at how many deep counts he gets into, how many two strike counts for either strikes out looking, strikes out swinging, whatever. That's what the high strikeout rate comes from because he's so patient. Um, if you look at his first pitch swing rate, it's like next to none. Just all those kind of things you're mentioning. It's a great point, and some guys don't realize it. And you mentioned Moncada started doing that last year, and it, it really showed. Is uh, I remember something I learned in literally a long time ago. If it's if if the first good pitch you see is a fastball that's down the middle, swing. Why are we taking strikes? Why? Yep. It might be the only good pitch you see. So yeah, ask Barry, ask Barry Bonds about that back in the day. <laughs> but uh, this round six, uh, I'll keep this quick now. Is uh, for listeners to the show might call it Bubba's round because it's it's a lot of my guys in here. There's Matty Olson who I'm in love with this year. Uh, Mancata, Boba Shet, I'm a big fan of. But what I'll do is I'll double tap some pitching after going Charlie Morton. I will go with Hugh Darvish. He's another guy I've been grabbing sure. a lot of this year. I, I buy into the, the fixes because. You hear it from the horse's mouth that he flat out said it before he started the run last year. He, he looked at film, he figured out what he was doing wrong, and he fixed it, and he just lights out, looked like the U Darvish of old. I buy into that going into this year, so Darvish should be my sixth-round pick. All right, who you got in round seven? Round seven, actually, I had three picks that I really like, Sweet. and they're all power guys. It's Giancarlo Stan, who we talked about earlier. I think he's a great value here. I think he's a good value if he rises up another round or two even. and then. Just like with Justin Verlander, just like with Charlie Morton, Nelson Cruz is going to stop hitting <laughs> at some point, yep. uh, but it hasn't happened yet. And we're going on about five years of him being a great fantasy value. And it it could end like David Ortiz, where at the, the end, you know, father time is undefeated, but you can, you know, you can avoid it. You can run out the clock, I guess, uh, would be the the way to say it. And, you know, Nelson Cruz, he might just retire before he falls off. And, you know, last year was his best year ever. 
there's no sign of slippage in the skills. I'll take Nelson Cruz at the 81st overall pick. If I'm picking in the second half of this round, the only problem is he is utility only and that he's unlikely to ever not be utility only. So it's, it can be tough to fit him on your roster, but you know what? With a bat like that, just find a way. Pretty much. It's funny. You mentioned him and David Ortiz. There's a Twitter poll out today. Um, what, at what age did you give up on these two guys? And we're like 36, 37, 38. And everybody's answer pretty much was, where's the never option? So, because they just keep yeah. hitting, like you said, it's crazy what they do. Um, mine mine here in round seven, since I did not take my Matt Olson in round six, I will take Jose Abreu in round seven. It's, it's strictly a play on, you know, the position starts to get pretty shallow early. So I love Jose Abreu in, in this part of the draft. I uh, I don't love Jose Abreu. You're not an Abreu? Let's talk. No, it's – um. For me, the biggest, I think it was the number seven first baseman last season. But when you look at how he was as a just a hitter, I think he was 14th among first basemen who qualified for, for the batting title in OPS. And so I just look at that and I say, man, is he going to drive in 122 runs again? Not if he hits that way. Even if with the with the lineup being good around him, he just, he feels like, like you're probably going to get 30 homers from him. You're probably going to get a decent batting average from him. You're probably going to get a, a good amount of RBI, but I don't know if there's any upside there. He's older. I think than people think, I think is he 34? That is true. He's uh, he'll be 34. Yeah. He just turned 33. Okay. So he's 33. So he's just, he's getting up there. We've seen guys like Joey Votto, Matt Carpenter kind of turn around very suddenly at that age. And, I just I don't think there is uh, a ton of room for error for Jose Abreu. No, that's a valid argument. the The room for error could be something. For me, it's it's more the uh, consistent or usually consistent, close to thirty home runs you're going to get. Yep. He's going to drive in runs. Obviously, I'm I'm hundred percent in agreement. He's not driving in one twenty three this year. I'm not not blowing that one out there. But I'm thinking there's still hundred plus runs driven in, eighty plus runs scored, and, and, and a decent batting average. So it's more of a consistency thing here because, like I said, if if you don't take him or a Josh Bell or someone else here pretty quickly, that position gets ugly in a hurry. So uh, it's strictly more of a, a positional play in that respect. Um, when you get to round eight, uh, who who are you targeting? I really like Sonny Gray this year. I know there doesn't seem to be a lot of people who believe in what he did last year, but – you know, we have um, this piece that's run on CBS Sports for two years in a row now. You can find the the full results there. But it's this uh, proprietary stat that one of our writers came up with. It's called ACES. And uh, I can't remember what it stands for. But basically, what he's trying to do is break pitching down into just the quality of a pitcher's um, repertoire. And so he looks at spin rate, release extension, velocity. Um, he looks at the command plus metric that stats has come out with that, you know, Saris has written a lot about. He actually worked a little bit with, you know, Saris on developing this and Sonny Gray actually rated out in the 100th percentile last season or in the, I guess the top 1% of the league by this metric in terms of just stuff, the, the pitch mix, I think he kind of took what he learned 
from his very bad experience with the Yankees where they tried to get him to throw his slider for strikes. It just didn't work. He talked a lot about that last spring training. I think he took what he learned from that and really was able to become the best version of himself. So I, I fully believe in Sonny Gray last season. He was another guy like you, Darvish, like Jack Flaherty, like a couple other pitchers who had a really good second half. And he doesn't seem to be getting rewarded for it in the same way that a lot of the other guys do. Yeah, it seems many aren't buying into Sonny Gray. And you mentioned the Aces metric, Aaron Sassetta. Uh He was on the show a week or two ago. Oh, okay, I've, had him on, I've had him on after he updates Aces twice now, each each preseason to talk about it. And uh, it's quite the metric. I and mean, we had some fun with it, uh, Sonny Gray leading the way there. But then I said, well, at least you know it works because if they want to argue Sonny Gray, Garrett Cole's like right there too. So exactly. it's, it's really hard to to argue those situations. But, uh, yeah, it's a phenomenal metric, and I, I learned of it from Eno over a year ago, like you said. So it, it's a very uh, nifty tool, I believe, is available at CBS Sportsline, so people can check that out. Yep. Um, my round eight pick, it's one that I'm absolutely uh, a big fan of as well, is Nick Castellanos. I know it's pretty you know common sense going from Detroit to Chicago, showed big games. Going to Cincinnati is going to be just ridiculous. If you look at what he can do in that ballpark, his just overall hit tool has always been really well, really good. But the ballpark did get him at times in Detroit. It's just Captain Obvious stuff. So playing in, in Cincinnati, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, and uh, I think he's still a pretty nice value at this point. So I take Nick Castellanos in round eight. Uh, who would be your round nine pick? Well, when I wrote this, Nick Castellanos' ADP was 97. So he's he was my up. round nine pick. So, uh, <laughs> no, I, I love Nick Castellanos. You know, you look at the, the dimensions in Comerica Park, and you look like down the lines and – you know, it, it doesn't seem like it should be a horrible place for a power hitter, but Nick Castellanos is not one of those power hitters who's pulling the ball to create his power. You know, he's not Mike Moustakas. Uh, he's got all fields power and especially into the alleys, and that's where Comerica Park just killed him. And he talked openly about it last season. Uh, right before he was traded, he was like, this park's a joke. And so I, I fully buy into him. I think – the great American ballpark in Cincinnati is going to be uh, it's going to do wonders for him. I could see something like what JD Martinez did last year. Yeah. From I think that's a great comp. I think it's a great comp. Uh, yeah. Cause we saw what JD did once he left Detroit and it could be a yeah. very similar situation there. So I think that's a phenomenal comp. Um, I'll just say mine quickly in round, uh, round nine. It's, it's, it's not great, but um let me see. Let me do the math here. 90 to 108. Oh, he qualifies there. Okay, never mind. I'm going to change my mind here. You mentioned him earlier with Yohan Moncada. I'll take my middle infielder with Tim Anderson. Love Tim Anderson. Uh, I, I understand the arguments of him not being able to duplicate that batting average, but I kind of ask, why not? Or at least why not something close to that? Like, if you want to give it a little regression, sure. But he's just a pure hitter. He's going to hit the ball hard. Um, he's he's going to be in a great spot in that lineup. The power, I think, is legit. Another guy, we talked about Marte, and once a number one pick. People forget about those things. Very highly touted prospect. So I do like Tim Anderson quite a bit. I'd have him at middle infielder right there. Yeah, he's not the slap hitter he used to be. You know, his no. ex- average exit velocity jumped almost three miles per hour last season. His hard hit rate was nearly 10 points higher than it was the year before. And his expected batting average on, on baseball savant was 294. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, a guy who could hit legit. 290 with 20 homers and 20 steals, maybe even more. That's a great pick here. I I also really like Carlos Correa here because you finally 
don't have to pay an elite price. And yes, he's injury prone, just like Giancarlo Stan. It's the same argument. If Carlos Correa plays a full season, which he hasn't done in quite some time, but if he manages to do it, we're probably going to pick him as a third or fourth rounder the following season. He's been a like a 930 OPS two of the last three years. The only real uh, ex- exception there was that 2018 when he was just playing hurt the entire season and just was never right. If he finally does have a full, fully healthy season, he's going to be a huge value here. I agree. It's one of those that uh, either people are just saying, no, I'm over Cray. He's burned me so many times. But people also need to realize he was burning you because of where you drafted him. Like you mentioned, yep. you're getting him at a at a price that matters. And like I've tried to stay positive over this whole period that we're in right now. And like I'm hoping for baseball. I'm planning for it. I know you guys are doing work at CBS. You keep grinding on it. If we want to make light of the situation, we're finally going to have a Carlos Correa size season. So let's just have fun with it and see and see what happens. He might be able to play a full season now. Um, just, just look at the positives in this, and that could be a steal of a pick. And that's kind of what you're looking at at these times. Now, I don't want to go through every round because I have a couple other questions I, I want to talk about. I want people to go read your article, obviously. But it's a fun exercise to kind of get an idea. You mentioned Kevin Biggio. Are there any kind of later round targets that really stood out to you as, as values just like the, off the top of your head right now? Love Fran Reyes. Love Corey Seager. Corey Seager going in, uh, I guess that's the 12th round, like 135th overall. He's someone I didn't love before because he doesn't necessarily have a profile that is super oriented for Roto Leagues. He's a great points league guy. Um, But, you know, he got off to such a bad start last season in April. He had like a 640 OPS um, through like the first couple of games of May. Then he kind of started figuring it out. And from like May 4th on, which is a bit of an arbitrary date, I'll admit. But from that point on, I think it was like a 900 OPS, 280 average. The per 160 game pace was like 28 homers, 120 RBI, 110 runs. Like it was the Corey Seager that we've wanted to see. And in his instance, I feel like you have a good reason why he got off to such a bad start. He was coming back from hip and Tommy John surgery. I'll grant the guy. A, a slow start under those circumstances. Yeah, no, Seager's always one I have a, a hard time pulling the trigger on. But similar to the Correa argument, he's kind of becoming worth a value now, where he's yep. in a range where I can take him, where before it was easy for me to be like, no, nah, I'm just not going to mess with him. So I can, I can totally see that. And um, Fran Mill, I'm all about. I, wrote, I actually wrote an article at Roto Baller uh, about a month ago now, where I said it was a debate between Aaron Judge and Fran Reyes, and I said, give me Fran Reyes. And this was before the Aaron Judge injuries, so that that became prevalent because you, you almost get a, you get a similar player. I get, I get you judge a full season's better uh, yeah. in the grand scheme of it, but what you usually get from a year-to-year basics with Fran very, very similar. So something that stood out to me there. So we're going to go check out Chris's article on CBS.com uh, and uh, go get all that good stuff. I saw you tweet about something today, and it's not on the outline, so I just want to ask you about it because I, 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 I'm a Twitter fiend. Like I sit there, I'll just like get bored and, and scroll Twitter, and sometimes it's very good. Sometimes it's just very filthy, and um, <laughs> I enjoy your timeline and others because you just do kind of fun stuff. Like I, I'm not into the record thing. I have never done it. I, I understand it. I, just, I, just, I listen to podcasts and stuff, and I'm not music, so I'm not going to ask you those questions because you would be an expert <laughs> there. But what I'm going to ask you that stood out to me, and it's kind of off of your – um, draft you guys did yesterday, I believe, about the fictional characters. Yeah, and it, I read your article on it. And again, I'm not going to go over that. I want people to read it themselves. 
but you mentioned the Sandlot and you tweeted this is your number one movie over Major League. Now, what I want to ask is the Sandlot is a phenomenal baseball movie. I love it. I will not argue with anybody with it at number one, but there's a lot of people with differing opinions all over the board on the Sandlot. What makes it your number one? The best sports movies aren't really about sports. You know, like I'm not a huge Field of Dreams fans, but it goes without saying that's a baseball movie, but it's it's really about the relationships between fathers and sons and, you know, in this, in the case of the Sandlot, it's a movie about childhood, and it's a really, really like I, I really love a lot of even though I'm you know 31 years old, I, I still really love a lot of the great art that defined my childhood. Stuff like Calvin and Hobbes and the Phantom Toll Booth and and Peanuts and stuff like that. I just I still go back to that stuff, and so the Sandlot is just like a perfect distillation of what it's like to be a kid during the summer you know it takes place in the 1960s it was made in the 1990s but it could define you know being a kid in any era especially you know maybe it's different now because people are a little more scared to uh to let their kids run all over the world but you know when i was a kid we were still you know you left the house in the morning you came back when the sun came down and you were out all day and that's exactly what the sandlot just typifies for me it's just like the perfect distillation of what childhood is like at its best. No, I love that answer. I remember being in school, people bring their gloves. We kind of form our own teams or after school, we go find a cul-de-sac and play in or an empty like playground to go play ball. So that, I just wanted to get your opinion on it because I love the Sandlot. I think it's, uh, does, it symbolizes childhood in a big, big way. And um, I just liked how you said even more than Major League because like you already knew when you tweeted that. That you're going to get a million questions on Major League because I love Major League. I think it's oh, a great it's a movie. Phenomenal movie. Yeah, it, any movie that you can quote stuff, it, it, it's it's there for a reason. Um, but I, I like the Sandlot. I'm with you. It's just got that other. It's not all baseball. It's a little bit of everything to kind of bring you mm-hmm. back. And uh, I wanted to ask you it because uh, I'm trying to do kind of other podcasts besides just strictly fantasy. And I've had a guest on Ben Palmer who did a top 15 at pitcher list the baseball movies. And last week we did our 11 through 15. This week we're going to do 10 through 6. So I thought it'd be fun to, to talk about here uh, just for a second. Yes. And it, it tied it tied into your draft because I love your draft. You, you picked uh, Snoopy, which w- w- threw me for a curveball because I never would have even thought of it, but it made sense <laughs> when you mentioned it. Um, and then you're two, you had three major league players, but the fact you picked your first two as basically the uh, the rivals or the, the bad uh, guys, yeah. guys you, it was awesome. Like I was like, this is this is great because most people would not go that route. So I thought that was a uh, really really cool stuff there. And then before we wrap up, let, we don't need to do top five, but give me like what are a couple things you find yourself doing now that you're kind of stuck at home that you usually didn't like find yourself doing? What are a couple things that you're maybe new hobbies or something you got going on? Oh boy. I've been trying to get back into playing guitar. Cause I kind of let that fall by the wayside the last couple of years. Um, but really it's just been watching a lot of TV with my wife. We, uh, we started watching game of Thrones. She's already watched it. I watched like the last season just cause I wanted to be involved in the conversation that everyone was having. And, Turns out well, that was not the right season to watch if you want to like Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, it was bad. Like even yeah. as someone who wasn't invested in the show, it was it was just horrible storytelling. But, you know, I'm about six episodes into the first season. 
It's great. We've just been kind of binge watching a lot of things. We binge watched Lord of the Rings over the weekend. Uh, cool. We've been watching a lot of Great British Baking Show, which is just if you ever need like a stress release, if you ever just want to feel good <laughs> about the world, the Great British Baking Show is just the most delightful, uh, most delightful TV show. It's not like the American cooking shows where. You know, like there's literally a show called Cutthroat Kitchen where you're just trying to screw everyone over. <laughs> Great Preparation Show, it's like if if one of the contestants needs help, like everyone will be like, do you need, I'll, I'll help you. What do you need me to do? And it's just, it they just drop a big tent into a field somewhere in Britain. And there's just like goats and lambs bleeding, like making goat and lamb noises, not like bleeding with a D. Oh, okay, I thought <laughs> Kind of. No, no, they're just happy frolicking in the field while these people are making like these really bizarre British desserts because I don't want to offend anyone, but there's one that looks like a brain. I won't go too far into it, but a lot of their desserts are pretty gross looking. Yeah. But the show itself is just it is it's like a like a balm for the soul. Nice. Yeah, no, I, I've been uh, asking a lot of people that question is because we all have extra time on our hands. It seems like, so I'm kind of curious on how people yeah. are occupying those times uh, in this weird time, because you got to try to find the best out of all of it. So it's uh, an interesting story. And then uh, we're not going to talk about this today. I- I'd love to have you on again sometime to chat about baseball sure. and whatnot, but one thing I want to chat about you with, I saw you, you I-, I need to do more research to be ready to talk about it because I love the topic. I just, I've never really made the list because I refuse to, but I'm seeing many do it. Now I want to, but I want to talk to you about your um, your Marvel cinematic idea uh, oh, theories and, and list. I've so, got lots of thoughts on that. That's that's yeah, another that's one a, that we uh, we rewatched. I think twice in the last year. See that, and that's my thing is that's a whole other podcast that we don't need to start right now. We so, we could do I I could do three hours on that. That's what I'm saying. So you, I think, you let me I think, know when you want. Yeah, we we will do that. I think that could be a lot of fun. I think uh, to kind of distract us from everything and so many angles you can take on that. So. We will do that sometime, but before we wrap this up, why don't you like remind everybody what you got going on over at CBS, where they can find you, all that good stuff. Yeah, it's cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. We're uh, you know, pretty much writing multiple times a day. We should have at least two, two new articles up every day uh, reacting to news or just kind of we're, we're kind of in perpetual draft prep mode at this point, so – We'll still be there every single day. Uh, Fantasy Baseball Today podcast with me, Adam Azer, and Scott White. We're still doing that five times a week. So, you know, there there's lots of places you can you can follow me on Twitter at C Tower CBS. Warning: I tweet a lot, not necessarily all about baseball. That's well, okay. If they're listening to this show, I do the same thing. So I think they're used <laughs> to people like that. So it's not the end of the world there. But Chris, I really appreciate it. It was, it was fun chatting with you. We'll definitely do this again sometime. It was a great time. Thanks for having me. No problem, everybody. This is Ben with Bubba, episode 264 with Chris Towers of CBS Sports. Catch you guys later.